0: Now, before we jump in, I think it's important for me to note that Matthew chapter 9 verse 35 is almost the same as Matthew chapter 4 verse 23. See, the only difference between the two verses is that Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 says Jesus, referring to Jesus, he was going all over Galilee. Whereas Matthew chapter 9 verse 35 says that Jesus was going around all towns and villages. The ESV would say cities and villages. See the former signifies the general area covered while the latter demonstrates the extensiveness of Jesus' ministry. The area of Galilee, for some might be interesting, was about 65 kilometers wide and 112 kilometers long. A Jewish historian tells us that there were around 200 cities and villages in that region with about 15,000 people living in them. This means, if our maths is correct, there's about 3 million people in that region. If we acknowledge that Jesus went about in all of Galilee and that he went into all towns and villages, then it is reasonable to assume that the majority of these 3 million people would have had some kind of direct exposure to Jesus, whether directly by him or maybe through someone who Jesus had had a direct encounter with. They would have heard of Jesus. The point I'm trying to make is that Jesus did not limit himself and his acts of kindness and compassion to his own city. He didn't limit it to his own region or or his comfort zones. He took a trip throughout all of Galilee, and not only visiting the larger and major cities and towns, but the villages also, doing good to every person he would encounter, regardless of what state or condition that they were in. See, the text is specific, telling us that he was teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. It's specific. It tells us what he was doing. See, the teaching was more centered on the explaining of the Old Testament. He would walk into the synagogues and unpack the golden nuggets of the Old Testament, of the Torah, making it plain to them what it was all about. The proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom was the direct application and announcement to the people that the prophecies were being fulfilled. He was saying to them that all that you have held on to is now being fulfilled in and through me. The proclamation was the good news. What we today call the gospel, the gospel of God's graciousness and mercy to his people that the Messiah was present, that he was with them. The sacrificial lamb was here. The sacrificial lamb had arrived to take away the sins of the world. This is what he was announcing. This is what he was proclaiming. But on top of that, Jesus was banishing every sickness and every disease from his presence. That was part of his ministry. Banishing every sickness and every disease, He had a ministry of healing. The blind received their sight. the lame walked, lepers were cleansed, the deaf could hear, and the dead were raised up to life again. This was all part of Jesus' ministry, the teaching and the proclaiming of the gospel and the healing. Jesus healed every kind of sickness and every kind of disease as he ministered throughout Galilee. So verse 35 tells us what Jesus did. All right, that's verse 35. It it tells us what Jesus did. Verse 36 tells us why. It tells us why. I'll read it to you. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. We are told that he felt compassion because they were distressed and dejected. Distressed and dejected. The NIV and the ESV say because they were harassed and helpless. The New King James Version says because they were weary and scattered. The message says that they were confused and aimless. This is what Jesus wants us to see. As he looks to the crowd, Jesus wants to see a people battered, bruised, distorted, ripped apart, worn out, exhausted. That's what Jesus sees. See, Jesus was not fooled by religious fronting, fronting, fronting. To put on the appearance of something when in reality what you are putting on is actually not true. Jesus could see religious fronting. He could see religious pretending. Something that, let's be honest, many of us do. He could see right through that. See, Jesus sees the heart. He saw the hearts of the people as wounded and torn by the effects of sin. They were inwardly devastated and helpless because of their sin. They were hopeless, aimless. Wandering around, looking for meaning, but struggling to find it. So we're told that Jesus was filled with compassion for them. He was filled with compassion. Compassion in the Greek is splach nizome. He was filled with splach nizome. Which can inadequately be translated in English to have compassion. But yet in the Greek, its meaning is a bit stronger than that. Splach nizome. I mean, even the way you say it, you can hear that it carries some weight. Splach nizome. To be deeply moved. To be deeply moved, that you, that you feel it in your inner being. The, some say that you, you feel it in your stomach. Have you ever been moved to that point where you, you just feel it in your stomach? That's what Jesus felt when he looked to the crowds. And preparing for this, I, I, I looked at that and I was like, man, I, I understand compassion the, the way we talk about it today, but, but this splach nisome, what is this? feel like, and, and I quickly remembered. A couple of years ago, my daughter uh, was sick. She had spent the evening, this was a Saturday, so she had spent the evening at my mother's place and, uh, and my wife went to go pick her up on Sunday to come to church. But when she got there, realized that our daughter was sick, not in a good condition. And so she immediately drove her to the hospital. I preached the sermon. I didn't know any of this was happening. Uh, at the end of it, I looked at my phone, saw that there was a text from my wife, come to the hospital quickly. So I got in my car and drove. I knew it was bad because, you know, my, my wife went, she doesn't just randomly send texts like that. And so all the way there, I'm just praying, Lord, she's not mine. She's not mine. She's not mine. You have given her to me. You have given her to us to steward this life. I, I was worried and concerned and anxious, and so I get to the hospital, park my car, make my way uh, to the children's ward. Walked in, and I looked, and I saw my daughter on the bed. She had been plugged in, all those medical things. And I mean, you guys know my daughter. If you've ever been to my house, first thing she'll cry out is, Friends are here! Definitely gets that from my wife. But this day, that was not my daughter. She had no energy, just lying there, almost lifeless. And it was in that moment that that, that I felt compassion, the way Jesus refers to it. I, I felt compassion. I'd been deeply moved in my inner being to the point where I wanted to exchange places with her. I would have done anything, anything, anything to change places with her. Splach nizomai. See, compassion, according to Matthew, is to be deeply moved, that you would exchange places with the one you feel compassion for because of what they're going through. You have empathy, not just sympathy. You feel with them. You would do anything to trade places with them. Ah, But if you were truly listening, if you would call yourself a Christian, your spidey senses would be tingling, your spirit would be moved. You would go, hold on. I've heard that before. To trade places, to, to feel this compassion that I would trade places, well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus says this because he knows. He knows. In fact, his, his ministry was anchored in this reality that he had come because he had seen a world in desperate need of a savior, and he was like, well, I will then exchange places with them. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Where Jesus had freedom and we, we, we have bondage. He was like, well, I, I will give them my freedom. And I will take on their bondage. I will, I will give them my light and I will take on their darkness. This is what the saints of old refer to as the great exchange. And so you see, where where I was lacking with my daughter, where, where I could not trade places with her, my compassion in that moment would act as a representation of what Jesus could complete. Where I lacked, he completed. Friends, where you lack, he completes. And so we are to feel this compassion and that it is to move us to do something. But the reality is, whatever we do, it will never be enough because only Jesus can do that. And so what we do acts as a representation. It, It becomes a finger that points to the sun. But then Jesus goes on to say, he says, they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, usually the the Bible will refer to Christians as sheep. So understand the context. These sheep had no shepherd, no one to protect them or guide them. And those who were supposed to be leading them were no longer leading them to God because they were wolves in sheep's clothing, keeping them from seeing and experiencing who God is truly is. This is talking about Christians who find themselves in churches where those who are meant to be leading and guiding aren't doing that anymore. And I know this to be true. I'll give you two reasons why I know this to be true. Because for some of us, what, what we see on TV and, and maybe find as entertaining, and, and I'll admit it, for, for a season I was that guy. I was I didn't feel compassion for, for what I was seeing on the screen. Where people would say, Let me show you how powerful I am. Watch what I can do with this congregation. They will go and eat grass. I, I mean it's entertaining, but 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 guys, we should Be deeply moved by that. Because they are like sheep without a shepherd. This is what Jesus saw and he's saying, friends, we should see this as well and be deeply moved. See how powerful I am. I I can make them drink petrol and they won't die. Where on earth do you get that in the scriptures? But you might think, oh, okay, hold on, that's, a, that's a, a, a rural urban problem. We're suburban people, so please, It'll never happen with us. And yet in this very room, I can tell you of stories of folks who, who would say, listen, I was part of this church and this is what happened uh, because of bad leadership or, or so-and-so said this to me because they said they heard from God when in reality they were only trying to benefit themselves. Folks, many of us can tell stories of that. If you sow the seed. Now, I'm not saying that God can't bless you. But this pattern of if you sow the seed, and then watching the pastor get richer and richer and richer, cannot be found in the scriptures. Sheep without a shepherd. This is what Jesus sees. This is what Jesus wants us to see. Jesus then shifts the metaphor from flock to field. Friends, this was a tough week preparing for this. I mean, Jesus is just using agricultural illustrations for a city guy, I'm like, I have, I have no sheep without a sh-. Like, Jesus, could you not say they are like those stuck on the N1 during rush hour and it's raining? I'd be like, totally get that. Like, that makes, I can, I can preach that. No, 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 they are like sheep without a shepherd. Like, where do I even begin? That's how Jesus rolls. So Jesus shifts the metaphor from flock to field. Jesus now envisions an enormous crop that is ripe and ready and it's in need of harvesters. The harvest is those who don't know Jesus yet as Lord and Savior. So so we've just spoken about the sheep, those who have crossed the line of faith but have found themselves in places where there are no leaders to guide them and to show them who Jesus truly is to unpack the scriptures and make it plain to them. He then transitions and he says, I'm going to talk to you about a harvest now. The harvest referring to those who don't know who Jesus is. He tells us that this harvest is ready and ripe and in need of harvesters. This is the unreached people of this world, this continent, this country, this city, your neighborhood, your workplace. They're in need of more faithful disciples of Jesus filled with the gospel. Verse 37 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Put plainly, the ripe harvest can go to waste if there are no workers, if there are no laborers. This is what he is saying. It'll go to waste if we do not take advantage of the abundance of this harvest. Jesus warns us that the opportunities to meet human need and bring people into the kingdom may go to waste because of a shortage of workers. We see this in John chapter 4, verse 35 to 36. And notice Jesus refers to them as workers, implying work. But this will be hard. We'll have to grind. James said it over and over and over again. That faith without works is dead. That if there are no works, then we must question the faith. He would say it over and over and over again. Where do you think James got it from? His older brother. He would see it in his older brother. He refers to them as workers, as as laborers, implying that we are to work, that we must put our faith into action. We are to work. Why? Because the uh, harvest is abundant. The harvest is abundant. The need that Jesus saw and wanted his disciples to see was great. The need that Jesus saw and wanted his disciples to see was great. And so in verse 38, he makes his request to them to respond to this need. This is how he says that they are to respond to this need, this harvest that is abundant. Verse 38, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, if you're like me, you'd go, man, that's really weird. That's, that, that's strange. Je- Jesus, you, you set this whole thing up. You, you tell us what you see. You, you tell us how we ought to feel. You tell us that the harvest is abundant. You set this whole thing up. You say that we should work. Our, our faith has works, and so we should grind. And so after saying all of this, and then landing on the harvest is abundant, Jesus then says, ready, set, Pray. I was expecting ready, set. Okay, guys, you heard it? Let's go. Let's go. The harvest is abundant. Let's go. No, Jesus says, pray. Here's why I believe Jesus calls us to pray. Because he wants us to recognize that we are human. Despite what your children might say about you. Hashtag Batman. We're only human. We're limited. And because we're limited, we can only be individually and to some degree corporately involved in so much. See, but Jesus wants us to be concerned about more than what we can be involved with. So when there are areas we cannot be personally involved in, yet see the need, we can still be involved by seeking the Lord and sending others to meet the need. Let me say that again. So when there are areas we cannot be personally involved in, yet see the need, we can still be involved by seeking the Lord in sending others to meet the need. This is why he calls us to pray. All our missions and expanding of the kingdom are anchored in prayer. Anything, anything that we do should be anchored in prayer. Some say it this way, that, that prayer is like the plate. It's the plate. It's the thing that holds everything together. But not just that. Prayer also is like the seasoning. And so we put out the plate and then we say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And put on the meat. And uh, Sorry, I realize we may have some vegans. Uh, we, we put on the, the vegetables <laughs> and the starch, which I think starch is a vegetable, is it? It doesn't matter. This is how the sermons become way too long. So the the plate, the, the food, and then we season it with prayer. All missions, all endeavors, anything that we strive to do must be anchored in prayer. Why? Because we are limited. We are limited. I say this over and over and over again here at Rooted Fellowship. That yes, we're called to pray so that we can make our requests known to God. In fact, he invites us to do so. But when we do that, we must acknowledge. We must acknowledge that when we pray, what's actually happening is you're saying in that moment, there are things that I cannot do. There are things that I cannot do. That's step number one. Step number two is you crying out to the one who can do these things. That's what prayer is all about. And so Jesus calls us to pray. He he says, no, 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 no. The, The harvest is abundant. Ready, set, pray. We pray for our countries. We pray for our cities. We pray for our people, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues. We pray that they would hear the richness of God's word. That they would hear this, this, this gospel that many of us would call scandalous. That they would hear of this gospel that brings people from darkness into light. That, that moves people from, from being orphans to becoming children. We pray that they would hear it. That their hearts would be softened and ready to receive this good news. We pray that God would send that he would send workers, that he would send the faithful workers. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. This this Greek word, send out, ekbalo, is much more aggressive than the English send out. Ekbalo means to push forward, to drive them out. It is the same word which is used for the expulsion of a demon from a man possessed. That's how strong this word is, send out, ek balo." What Matthew wants us to see is that it takes great power to drive out a demon. It's the same power that's going to get us to go as disciples. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to drive us out, to move us from places of comfort, to move us from places where we would go, I don't know if we're ready, to move us from places where we'll go, well, I need to have all my ducks in a row first. It's going to require great power. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. We pray for his workers to go into the harvest but here's how the beauty of the church works this is how God's body works and when i say church i mean big c church so not just us but the church that throughout generations uh, listen we pray for workers to go out but we must acknowledge that someone prayed for us that we are a realization of a movement that came before us that we are a answer To prayer. And so we we pray, acknowledging that those who have gone before us prayed the same prayer, and so we are in answer to that prayer. Pursuing evangelism and equipping and establishing and exporting of faithful disciples who would then go and multiply because the harvest is abundant and the workers are few. And so we pray to the Lord of the harvest. So over this next few months, I want to invite us to a season of prayer. Ready, set, pray. There's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of stuff I don't know. And guys, you're free to come and ask me. Please email me, send me a WhatsApp, grab me after the gathering, ask me questions. Just know that some of them might be, I'm not 100% sure, we're praying and seeking wisdom from the Lord. But I think the thing we want to answer is, yes, we're going to ride the wave. Because I believe there's enough people in this room who go, man, being here has been just radically amazing. God's done some really cool things. And yes, we're small. Uh, Yes, we're not self-sufficient yet. Uh, uh, But if you look at the Bible, that's the pattern of God. He uses the weak and the small and those who are perceived to be insignificant. He used 12 men to change the world. I'm hoping that that's how we will be remembered. A small bunch of faithful men and women meeting in a school hall, but faithful enough to answer God's call and to change not only this province, not only this country, but this continent. But we need to pray. So we're going to enter into a season of prayer, acknowledging that we are an answer to prayer from those who came before us. And so we go. We go as workers of the kingdom of God, seeking to see a world awakened to the wonder of God and his transcultural church. And as we labor, we pray. We pray that the Lord would send out workers because the harvest is abundant. And so we're going to close our time with a little bit of prayer. I'm going to walk us through the Lord's Prayer, uh, found in Matthew chapter six and also in Luke chapter eleven. But it's been changed, and you would know this change because it's the Lord's Prayer as we know it. And so, if you guys can put that up on the screen, um, we're going to walk through it. But but what we're going to do, and the, the band will play in the background. I'm just going to ask a few folks if you feel called to do so. Would you stand up and just pray out loud? Pray one of these. Maybe if you want to pray something else, pray that. But just, just prayer. And we're entering into a, a season, a few months of, of praying and wrestling and engaging and, and seeking wisdom from the Lord and doing and acting and going. We anchor ourselves in prayer. And so as the Lord's Prayer goes, our Father in heaven, this speaks of intimacy. The intimacy that we find in our relationship with the Father. We are his children. Hallowed be your name, that he is holy. Holy, holy, holy. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It speaks of justice, and not just any justice, but biblical justice. The justice that this world needs. We, we come up with lots of great ideas. As, as a man who studied law, guys, I would say that the South African Constitution is one of the greatest constitutions in the world, but it has its flaws. It is not perfect because it's not the law of God and so we cry out to God to bring about justice through his people give us today our daily bread that speaks of our dependence deeply dependent on him forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us this is what I like to call grace 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 for me that I receive grace from God but then grace to you I extend grace Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us, Lord. We need your guidance. We also need his protection. Let us not be fools to think that the the evil one is going to go, oh, you want to do what? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me get out the way. Go for it. We need his protection. Now more than ever. And it's not just protection from out there, but it's protection from within. Protection from within. We need to be unified more than ever. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours. Now and forever. This speaks of our hope. Our hope anchored in him. Our hope anchored in him. We can do this because we know how the story ends. And so, Father, we we come as your people, uh, knowing that you hear our cries, you hear our prayers. Uh, There's lots to be scared about. Uh, There's lots to be anxious about. Um, We don't have all the answers. But we have you. And, God, that should be enough. And so, Lord, remind us of this beautiful gospel one that brings us into a relationship with you, that reconciles us to you. As we experience the beauty of who you are, the joy that is found in you, the fulfillment that is found in you, that we be able to corporately sing together that you are a good God and a good Father. He loves us more than we could ever imagine, and so we long for others who don't know you to know you, to know you this way. Lord, we love you. And so as we close our time together, Father, we want to continue in the Lord's prayer, but we want to sing it together. And so in the same way you heard our cries as we prayed, would you hear our cries as we sing? We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray.